0: You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. I love the Antiques Roadshow, don't you? Not because I'm a fine purveyor of antiques, I just love the concept that people could uh, take something, what they think is a piece of junk, using it as a doorstop for example, they take it into a county fair in England somewhere and someone tells them that this funny little statue they've been using as a doorstop was from the the Napoleonic Wars or something similar and it's worth 50,000 pounds and they're over the moon and it's just a great night in front of the television. (laughs) Wow, what a life. Look, there's something about that when you find uh, treasure and what has become overly familiar and that is the premise of this short series we were doing in the lead up to Christmas in this series called Reverse Garbage, it's a whole new thing that is happening these days around the world that people uh, are going back to these shops which just deal in other people's garbage. It's funny to think that people would pay for it, but they do. You can go down south somewhere in the Shire and there are stores down there. And you can... They've got plenty of stuff for those stores down that way. And look, either way, what it is, is people find that treasure in the familiar. Christmas can be like that. Words like joy and hope, and peace. And that's what we look at tonight when we look at the word joy. My question is, have you used it like a doorstop? Have you used a word that uh, has such depth and nuance and history? And really it's just sitting, propping open a door at home for you in that spiritual sense. Let's have a read here from First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through to 9. Praise be to God. And Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. There's the joy word. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you ever remember your favorite Christmas time as a kid? I mean, has there been that moment in your life where it's just the, the quintessential Christmas moment? It could have been a particular year for you. It could have been a particular type of present as it was for me. I remember on that hot summer's night, the smell of pine had filled the house. The weird blink down the hallway of the, of the Christmas lights. They were the type of lights that if you stepped, them, stepped on them, you might as well have stepped on a landmine, the real sort of <laughs> spiky ones. I, I, I tried to keep my, my, my six-year-old eyes awake. I would run out to the lounge room, the sack would be empty and the promise of Santa was still on the way and there was just one present that I was holding out for. I'd go out again and check he hadn't been, he hadn't been and, and I went out and then suddenly it must it felt like 3am or 4am, the sacks were full but I didn't dare look. And so I, I managed to go off to sleep for an hour or two, but at 5 a.m., I got dad up and we went out. And we ran into the lounge room as kids do, and there I opened up the sack, and there it was everything I could have ever dreamed for a tape of Michael Jackson's bad. <laughs> I know, before you get too excited, before you get too excited <laughs> to accompany the tape. It was something I'd seen in the shops. It was just a, a mere hope for me. It was nothing, other, none other than a Sony Walkman, complete with the, the thin metal bit, the headphones that went there, and the foam ear pads that made sure that you could listen with great comfort. And, and it was a golden era back then. Just as a side note, wasn't it? You know, when you had to use a motor to search your music library with the forward or the rewind or the fast forward button, or more importantly, that the artists in the top 10 those days were at least over the age of 13 years old. <laughs> Sorry to all you Bieberites that are out there at the moment. You know, it's a funny... I, I, I don't know if you've had a similar experience. <laughs> that, that quintessential Christmas moment... And yet somehow, I wonder for us that are here as grown-ups tonight, whether tomorrow night, we're on the eve of Christmas Eve, whether tomorrow night we'll be as sleepless. Whether tomorrow night will be as hopeful in that sense. Whether or not we will get out there and, and when we see these presents on Christmas Day, of course, there'll be fun and there'll be laughter and we'll enjoy this time together. But it, it won't quite be the same, right? Why is that? You know, uh, C.S. Lewis felt exactly the same way when he wrote this in his book, Surprised by Joy. He says, I call it joy. The first is itself the memory of a memory. It was a sensation, of course, of desire. But desire for what? Before I knew what I desired, the desire itself was gone. The whole glimpse withdrawn. The world turned commonplace again. Or only stirred by a longing for the longing that had just ceased. In that sense, the central story of my life has been about nothing else. The quality common to these three experiences is that of an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. I call it joy, which here is a technical term and must be sharply distinguished from both happiness and pleasure. Joy, in my sense, has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them, the fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it, joy that is, would ever, if both were in their power, exchange it for all the pleasures in their world. But then joy is never in our power, and pleasure often is. You see what he's saying? We we all desire joy. We've all experienced joy at one point in our lives. And that's why joy is such a problem. That's why joy is elusive. Tonight, first, we see the elusiveness of joy the problem with the elusiveness of joy is that deep down we know that it won't last. We, we know that it won't stay forever. You know what C.S. Lewis is saying? You know, see, so he's saying that joy is like fairy floss. That's how I see what he's saying there. Joy is like fairy floss. That the, the very act of tasting it dissolves it away. And, and the result is, right, you could go one of two ways. You can either, if you want to desire for more, eat more fairy floss. Just give me more fairy floss. And we do that all the time with our lives, right? We just, we just turn up the volume. More fun, more good times, more laughter. We just, we just turn the volume up more. Or the other way that we go is you say, I'm never eating fairy floss again. I, I, don't, I don't want to be reminded of its sweetness and its beauty. I'm not going to touch it again. I vow never to touch it again. And oh, don't we ever do that. I'm never falling in love again. I'm never giving my heart to that someone or something that caused me joy. But, you know, either way, these two things are trying to counteract the elusiveness of joy. Uh, Tim Keller, chatting with a mate the other morning over coffee, shared this uh, illustration with me from Tim Keller. He puts it confrontingly like this. And Keller describes it. He says, uh, here's the problem with joy. You could could be at a, a wonderful dinner outing. Great Christmas lunch, we say. Go there, the food's fantastic, it's like nothing you've ever tasted before. The laughter is frivolous and you're laughing so hard that you're almost crying. There's good friends, all the people that you could ever only want to be in the world would be there with you. And the moment just feels so sweet, like it could be never any better than this. And then a thought breaks in and crushes it all. And you will come to a realisation that at some point in time, one person sitting around at that table will be the only one left. Joy is elusive. Oh, ouch! Can't you see? It's plain that uh, it's plain that joy is not an illusion. We've tasted it. We know it. But our pain from the elusiveness of our joy is that it doesn't last. We've felt it. We do feel it. But, like C.S. Lewis, Lewis says, it's a desire that we can't satisfy, and we're left wondering if we may ever taste it again. Well, happy Christmas. <laughs> That's the question, I guess. Some of you may very well be in the same boat. You may be feeling the same pains this Christmas. Let's be real. We're all grown up. Where There may be family members that we're not reconciled with. There may be things that are not right. There may be memories of memories that we could wish we can only go back to. And we are left wondering, how can we ever be constantly joyful? That's the elusiveness. And then, of course, we see the uniqueness of Christian joy. Verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You see, what Peter's saying there in this passage is he's saying for the Christian, it's possible to be joyful at exactly the same time that you're experiencing pain and suffering in your life. Exactly at the same time. It's, now, this is off the charts for most people. This, this is off the rig to scale for most people. They're thinking that's not possible. Tell you why, it's the super soaker principle. Now, if we're talking Christmas times now, you know, uh, I remember Christmas a while back, family events. My uh, poor Nan had been out searching. That was back in the days where you didn't have to do Kris Kringle. We're so economically minded these days. Back in my day, every kid got a present from the 15 relatives that you had. It was glorious, it was wonderful. And so um, my Nan had been searching desperately for my little cousin to get him the perfect present he'd wanted all year. He wanted a super soaker. And so she went shopping and unfortunately she mustn't have gone to Toys Us. She went to Franklin's instead and got him this present. She watch, watches him there and he rips the paper off. He takes one look at it and he goes, this super soaker is crap. Throws it to the other side of the room and he was filthy for the rest of the day. He, he was not in a happy mood whatsoever. It's the super soaker principle. You see, Brett's representative of most people. Not that you're all desperately want a super soaker tonight. But here's the thing, joy is often found in your ex, not in your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, in your ex. The ex. Unless I have ex, I can't be happy. Unless I have this one thing, I can't be joyful. That's what Brett was saying. Unless you give me my specific Nerf brand of super soaker, then I'm going to be filthy for the rest of Christmas Day. And it's your fault, man, your fault. Unless I can have ex. And as adults, we laugh at Brett's super soaker antics, don't we? We laugh at the way he is, but come on, let's be serious. Are we really that much different? Are we really? Like, surely, you know, I mean, our responses are a lot more measured, aren't they? You know, when we're in front of the boss, we don't, we don't throw stuff across the room. But we're constantly saying this super soaker is crap. Constantly saying, unless I have X, I can't be joyful. Unless in my, I have X in my job life. Unless I have X in my relational life. Unless I have x in my financial life i can't be joyful it's off the charts for people isn't it you see what people are saying they're saying how can you have joy when the very things that give you joy are being torn away from you it's not possible and the reason is that for many people joy is in their circumstances joy is in the things around them you know they're saying what is suffering what is pain other than stripping you of the things that give you joy And so what they're saying is you can't have joy in any circumstance, Peter, in what you're saying here, because joy is in your circumstances. It's either in your health and or your professional success. It's in your health and or your relational success. It's in your your relational success and or your financial success. It's in your financial success and or your family success. All of these things are your source of joy. And here's what's unique about this wonderful verse. When you dig into the gra- grammar, there's a, this incredible paradox here. There's something upside down in this. Wait for it here. Look at this. He says, um, uh, he says though, he, though you are in this, you greatly rejoice. Present tense. In this, you greatly, you're rejoicing now. Though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer all kinds of grief. Right? In the joy now, present tense. Grief in the present tense. It's a both end. He's saying, joy now Grief now, both are happening at the same time, and we're going. How is this possible? And here is the uniqueness of Christian joy: is that you, Christian joy is no longer linked to your circumstances. They're, they're not related anymore. It, 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 it's not not the same anymore. It, how? Well, finally, we go from the uniqueness to the source of joy. What is the source of joy? Look, here's the thing: if I was getting a new Walkman on Tuesday. Would, would I have a sleepless night tomorrow? Actually, I might, actually. If Sony bought back the Walkman, <laughs> that would be pretty exciting. But if for the purposes of the illustration, would, would I have a sleepless night? No. Walkmans are outdated. They're inferior. You know, Michael Jackson's dead. Um, it's, we, the era is gone. We can't go back to the glory days of the 80s as much as I'd like to. But here's the thing. Not, not only has the object of my affection changed from Sony Walkmans to iPods. But the ability of that affection to fully satisfy me has changed. You see, a six-year-old can think that their whole world has just exploded with joy when they receive a Walkman. Do you think a 36-year-old could? (laughs) No. We have much bigger things like houses and cars. and If it was an Audi... Now that's a different story. If it was an Audi in Santa on Tuesday, you know maybe we'd get there close. But look, here's here's the thing. Here's here's the thing. If, if if that's the case with kids, if we know, if you know that that's true of yourself, if you're with me tonight, how can you be sure that what you've anchored your affections to today, in order to get your joy, will a remain constant? that that object won't change, and more importantly, that it will truly satisfy you when you've grown up in another 30 years' time. How can you be absolutely sure? You see, it was never about the Walkman, and here's why. You see, the joy was not in the Walkman in and of itself. It was something far deeper. It was just a glimpse. It was a taste. It was an excitement of that desire that C.S. Lewis talked about, something beyond me, and that for a Christian is exactly what it's about. You see, here's the thing for a Christian. Joy is not the end product it's the byproduct of the life that we live in God. I'll still put it. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I could be sick or something, but I love the exhilaration of roller coasters. You know that feeling when you just go right over the top? of that thing and you stare down what looks like certain death and your stomach comes back up through your mouth and you're tasting that Pluto pup that you've eaten about half an hour before. I love that exhilaration of roller coasters. And you know what? There'd be two ways for me to chase that um, Pluto pup in the mouth type feeling this week. Two ways. I, I, I could go up to Warner Brothers Movie World and get on the Superman ride again. Or I could jump off a cliff. Uh, see both of them have the same end product both of them elicit the same uh exhilarating pluto pup in mouth feeling as you're going through that and as your acceleration gets faster and faster and faster but here's the thing one source of that feeling leads to safety another one leads to ultimate destruction and so friends what i'm saying is don't chase joy for joy's sake it's, you have to chase the source of joy in that sense, and most preferably a roller coaster. Um, look, isn't that what this passage is saying? Look, the question you need to ask yourself tonight is, how can I be assured that my present day source of joy is the roller coaster, is something that will lead me to safety in the long run? You know, How do I know that it's not harming in me in the long run? How do I know that I've got the right source of joy? Look, the question, that's what this passage is saying is, The way you'll tell the litmus test is how are you relating to death? How are you relating to suffering? How are you relating to pain? Even now, is there a possibility of joy? If there is, then your joy has been uncoupled from your circumstances. And finally, you're seeing joy for what it really is. Listen to what Lewis says again. In his conclusion with it all, he says, Of joy... For that, after all, is what the story has mainly been about. To tell you the truth, the subject has lost nearly all interest for me since I became a Christian. I believe that the old stab, the old bittersweet has come to me as often and as sharply since my conversion as at any time of my life, whatever. But now I know that the experience, considered as a state of my own mind, had never had the kind of importance I once gave it. Joy was only valuable as a pointer to something other and outer. And while that other was in doubt, the point naturally loomed larger in my thoughts. (laughs) He who first sees it cries, look, and the whole party gathers around and stares. But when we have found the road and a passing signpost every few miles, we shall not stop and stare. (laughs) They'll encourage us and we shall be grateful to the authority that set them up. But we shall not stop and stare or not much. Not on this road, though their pillars are of silver and their lettering of gold, they lead us to heaven. You see what he's saying? (laughs) He's saying you need to see all the good things in life. You need to see uh, you know, the, all, all the beautiful lights that you've probably seen at Christmas time. All the things that are costing people an arm and a leg thanks to the electricity bills in our New South Wales government. Um, you need to see Christmas carols in the domain. You need to see all these wonderful things of Christmas, but see them for what they are, guys. Not as the destination of joy, but as signposts. They're pointing to something deeper and something greater. What's that verse 3? Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. You know, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven. What is that? You You know what that is? It's the ultimate Christmas dinner. It's it it's It's a time and place where the where the food couldn't get any better it's 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 a time and place in in where the grief that 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 you have experienced all of this lifetime has been transformed into a laughter that is so big and so hard you've got tears running from your eyes it It's a place where all 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 the pains of this life have have just been dissolved into the good times that are around you and you look around at the faces in the table around you. And though you've never known them on this side of heaven, they look more familiar to you and you love them deeper than you could have loved your own child. And, and, and right at that moment, if it ever be possible, I'm using some license here, but if ever at that moment, <laughs> looking from the outside, your face begins to drop as you think that that cruel moment is going to creep back into this moment of joy. The master himself puts his hand on your shoulder and he looks at you. <laughs> And He says, "Child, don't be sad. This joy lasts forever." That hope, that's the source of the Christian joy. And that hope means when you look at your own tables this Christmas, and you have those re- reflective moments in the beauty. Seeing little nephews and nieces laughing on Christmas Day, discovering their own versions of Sony Walkmans. See family and friends that you've longed to be with. You've had that wonderful moment of elusive joy that C.S. Lewis says. Then you as a Christian can be reminded that it will not slip away from you forever. And like the fairy floss that it may dissolve into Boxing Day and the sweetness may not return, but you need not continue to stuff your face with it. Because there's the ultimate Christmas dinner waiting for you, whenever that might be. Would you like that this Christmas? How do you get it? Here's how, first and foremost, you, you, you've got to drop your ex this Christmas. I don't mean your ex-boyfriend or girlfriend again. I mean you've got to, you've got to drop that one thing, that that ex that has secretly been haunting you, that one thing that you said, I must have in order to be joyful. Do you know what that is? <laughs> that one thing that you've got to have. That, look. See it as a signpost. See it as a signpost. But more importantly, you've got to live verse, uh, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with an, in, an inexpressible and glorious joy. You know, how does, how, how does believing in Jesus give me an inexpressible joy? Hebrews 11.2 says it shows you the, the source of his joy. It says, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame. It says, for the joy set before him, a joy. There was something in front of him that was greater than and more exhilarating, more wonderful and more valuable to him that even the cross was able to bear. You know, what would that be? Would it be a glorious crown in heaven? No, he's already had that. (laughs) Graham said this morning, what what gift do you give to someone who's had everything? He had everything. But then Isaiah fifty three says, "By his knowledge, my righteousness, uh, his my servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities." You know what the you know what the result of his suffering was at the cross? It was you. Isaiah said he justified many. You know what it, you know what it's saying there? The, the joy that was before Jesus Christ at the cross was you. There was nothing more wonderful and exciting and incredible to Jesus Christ than his hope that you would be sitting with him at the ultimate Christmas dinner. That friend, a place awaits you tonight if you don't know him or believe in him. A place is waiting at his table where his face is downcast a little forlorn until the loved one that he wants sits with him there. (sighs) Look, the joy, here's the thing, the living joy that Jesus had was the thought of being with you forever. Does that move you? Does it even begin to shake you? Because here's what's going on. Here's how it works. The knowing, knowing that you were Jesus' joy is the very thing that helps you make him your source of joy. The more you dwell upon that and the more you move into that, you will have a joy that will last forever. And so, friends, joy, it's not mansions, it's not earthly glory, it's your shepherd, it's your brother, it's your king, it's your prince with open arms saying, come to Christmas dinner, come to the table. And so in knowing that you're his joy, that, that can be your true joy and nothing less. See it, love him, experience it this Christmas you'll have a joy that lasts forever.